Welcome back to the Kickstart Finance Podcast. My name is Tucker McLean, a teenager interested in finance and your host. Tune in to learn the financial tools you won't learn in school and career advice from professionals in the financial industry. Hey guys, welcome back to the Kickstart Finance Podcast. Today, we're going to be interviewing Daniel Cashin. Daniel Cashin is currently an NYU student and studying finance, and he's going to share a little bit about the financial markets and other useful tips for young investors. Welcome, Daniel, to the Kickstart Finance Podcast. Very nice to be here. Thank you, Tucker, for having me on. So first, I want to talk a little bit about your background and like, I know you're at NYU Shanghai. What are you currently studying there? So right now, I'm studying at New York University's campus in Shanghai. It's a four-year campus with a degree grant with a degree from NYU Shanghai as well as a joint degree from NYU. So I'm studying finance right now, and that'll be accompanied with a minor in Chinese and a minor in politics. Oh, is there a current subject you're studying in finance? It'll be corporate finance towards M&A and investment banking. That'll be the focus that I end up taking with my course load and so on and so forth. That sounds nice. Okay. So we're going to be talking a little bit about rebalancing your investment portfolio. So what exactly would you say is investing your, balancing your investment portfolio? I think balancing your investment portfolio really depends on where you are in life and what you want to get out of your portfolio. So for example, why don't we say it's since the common sense is more directed towards teens, what would you think like about a teen? When you think about a teen, you have to think about your whole income and what you have and what you do. So I have a couple friends who run pretty good research investment portfolios. But you also have to think, what else are you investing in? What are you putting your time in? As a teen, it's important to understand the term investing outside of just investing in stocks, call options, futures, and understanding that your time is valuable and your time needs to be spent doing things and that you need to be cognizant of it. So I give you the question, Tucker, what are you doing right now? Let's define the word investing together right now on this podcast. So I'll, I'll kind of start it off. An example, you're investing time into doing this. I invest time reading about the stock market and reading about ways to improve my portfolio. Let's start building off of that. How do you invest your time? And we'll lead into the word opportunity cost after this. Well, I would say invest your time is like, what do you like spend your time on? And like, what do you like basically using your time to hope to better your future? Let's, let's get into it, Tucker. How do you... How do you invest your time? So clearly you're spending a good amount of time doing this Kickstarter finance thing. You obviously have to study for school. You might have to start preparing for college apps eventually, and you might have to invest some time in test prep. That's just kind of breaking it down from what I know. And you take it in that direction or you stay there. And then I'll kind of break it down on my end. Okay. Yeah. So basically most people like my age or like late in high school invest most of their time in, I would say, college applications to try to get into a better college, which kind of like relates to, if you think about it, like, like you're investing your time to better yourself. And then you're also investing your money. It's kind of like the same idea. So when you think about it, I'm investing my time in extracurriculars. I'm investing my time in sports to create a more well-balanced 
life and that, that eventually will hopefully will translate into college. And that's another investment of your time. The term that I want to introduce to everyone that I believe is a fundamentally important thing for investing is the word opportunity cost. And it's the cost of taking on one item instead of the other. So let's say I played a lot of lacrosse in high school. There's no secret about that. The opportunity cost of playing lacrosse was spending a bit more time studying. And at a certain point in my young age, I decided that the opportunity cost of playing lacrosse was not greater than the opportunity cost of studying. So I stopped traveling as much. It's in this way that you as a young person have to think about your investing activities. So it's important to understand that your investments and not just your portfolio in stocks, your categorical idea of investments is holistic. So you have to understand you're putting time into researching stocks. You're putting time into creating the money to invest in stocks. You're investing in other parts of your life and investing in a portfolio should just be encompassed within that idea of your time spent. So I know that every day I read the Wall Street Journal for about a half hour. That's my investment into my portfolio in time. And I don't actively add money into my portfolio. I just make trades. But the investment that I put into it each day is that reading so I can be informed on the market and understand what's going on in the future and my predictions and better educating myself on potential trades. I think this this idea of opportunity cost relates to this because that could be an extra half hour doing something else that someone else may not be willing to do. Let's give another example. It's an episode of Netflix. I could be watching an episode of Netflix instead of doing this each day. And then you just go ahead and calculate that out 30 minutes a day. So it's about three and a half hours a week. And that's a lot of time in a year, nonetheless, just a month. That's the opportunity cost of investing in my mind, not even considering the principle where you're getting your starting money from. And it's important to understand cost when you talk about investment and time. I can get into the nitty gritty of financial markets and future and the future of the economy, both in the US and China as much as I want. But when I speak to uh, younger people, I think this is the most important term to introduce. So I'll pose the question to you again, Tucker. What are you investing your time in now? And how do you see that translating to your total cycle of investment in your young life? Well, currently I'm investing a lot of time into learning about finance and different like things about it. And I do plan on going into a career in finance. So I feel like allowing me to learn about finance and become more connected in the financial world, it will allow me to, when I'm older, it will allow me to open new doors I wouldn't be able to open. So then the next concept I want to put on to you and, and your listeners is short and long term. And obviously, you have a nearsighted goal and you have a long-sighted goal. Your ideas that you just said in your investment and your time in understanding finance is that that's definitely not going to be a, a near-term or a short-term goal. That's a long-term goal, right? Correct? Yes. So this is another concept when you're investing versus trading. That's an important idea that you are investing in something for what type of term? Is it a short-term gain? Is it a long-term gain? Are you investing or are you trading? These are all key points that, without getting too technical, are important ideas within the space of portfolio management and even investing your time. So again, Tucker's doing these these great things for a long-term gain or a long-holding position. And you could say that 
I am studying for a midterm right now. You could view that as a short-term gain. This time right now is going to be realized at my midterm. Tucker's studying these terms and these concepts now in finance, and that's going to be a long-term realization. And that's an important differentiation. So basically, like when someone's investing or when someone's like trading in the market, like this is just to like reflect on the market. When you're like making your portfolio, you kind of have want to have a plan of like, which types of companies you want to invest in and whether you want it to have a, be a short-term stock where you'd like get rid of it within the first three months or a long-term stock where you want to hold it for like two, three years and then sell it. I, I think the word that you're looking for, which you, you definitely come across and you may learn portfolio health. And I think that's a key part of having a healthy portfolio is understanding your holdings, long-term, short-term, near-term, far-term, and understanding that different positions in your different companies are going to have different investment windows and different prospectuses on your investment that you create when you invest in them. And again, bringing it back to the, the holistic view of your time, it's important to keep those in mind. You don't want to ever have everything maturing at the same time. You don't want to have everything far off. You want to have a healthy balance of everything. So I think I really admire what Tucker's doing here, what you're doing. You're really putting something that is going to mature in the long term and learning these terms now and understanding it, whereas most kids are thinking about just the short-term gain. And that's not going to give you a healthy balance in your portfolio or in life. I know tons of people who spent all of their time on college apps and not developing any hard skills and not developing any skills for the outside of the short-term investment. And I bring it back to the term opportunity cost and time spent. And now in their second and third year of college, they're still rebuilding their portfolio and their time investments. That really when they, when they left high school, all of their investments matured and they were put into a brand new field of land new space with no previous uh, strong center holdings in their portfolio of time consumption. And I do bring it back to core investments. So I look at my portfolio every day and my portfolio has some very strong core investments. I think I made a couple of them in 2007, back when, in 2008 in the, um, the great financial crash. And then I've added a couple new core positions. This past. It's not a recession. It didn't go down to uh, quarters. But this this last disruption because of COVID, and I plan on holding and keeping those holdings, hopefully for a couple of years to come. And obviously, I diversified the types of holdings. And I have a, a, a certain part of my portfolio sectioned off to do short-term holdings, to trade, and not to value invest. And it's important that you think of both your investment portfolio and your time in the same through the same lens. These are things that you don't learn in school, but I've had the pleasure and joy of chatting with people and helping me understand how to structure my investments. Uh, so it's better for someone to kind of invest earlier and then invest in like a stock or stocks when it's like the market's down. So then the cheaper and then hold them for longer. I'm saying even more rudimentary than that, understanding the idea of investing. And that's an idea that needs to be unpacked. We can... I'm happy to come back on and just talk about stocks and bonds. I'm actually teaching a class on it right now for other kids in my school. But I think something that you don't learn in your finance classes is the value of investing and thinking about your life in a more holistic view. So like other markets, other types of exposure, these are things that I don't learn in class. 
and that my friends aren't learning in class, but I read about, I, I'm passionate about. So I have a pretty active crypto wallet that I trade as well. I've been relatively quiet in the past few weeks, but I have a foreign exchange account that I trade regularly. It's all about understanding your time and understanding your holdings. So when I think about my investment activities, it's not just my portfolio and stocks. It's also what I trade on my foreign exchange account. It's what I trade on my Bitcoin account. It's what I do in other markets as well. So I think that's a broad distinction. I can get as far out in terms of pegging different currencies on the foreign exchange market, what that means to the international flow of money across the world. Or I can go through when securities came about in the ideas behind ownership and, and stocks and securities. Yeah. And also, if someone was just starting to um, invest, why is it important that they diversify their portfolio? And what percentage breakdown do you think it should be? So this is an interesting question. It really depends on where you are in your investing career and where you are in your life and the financial stability you need. So when I was in high school, I there's an interesting way to think about it. It's when you don't have anything, you're all eager to risk everything and, and get more. But once you have something you've built, you don't want to risk any of it. So when I was in high school, I was trading. I was trading every day, every week, and I was making really great returns and really great gains. And as I've I'm still not very old, but as I've gotten older, I see the the portfolio I built for myself, the number gets bigger and I don't I feel less and less comfortable risking more of it because as I've learned more and read more, you truly start to think, wow, I don't know that much compared to everyone else in the market on Wall Street doing this full time. So as I've gotten older, my positions have been a lot more conservative and less risky, but I've made more consistent returns, which is more important. And as I talk to my dad about this, he says, wow, you're, you're taking a lot of risk. Why don't you buy this for more exposure to X or Y? And I said, if you think this is me being risky, you, you do not want to know what I was doing five years ago. And it's the same vein. I have more friends who are traders in their 30s, and they're throwing around more money than I could even imagine in a single trade. And they're taking risks. And I bet in 10, 15 years, they don't because as you get older, you have different priorities in investing. So bringing it all the way back, Tucker, if you were trading a thousand bucks, I say you be as aggressive as you want. But if your portfolio got up to 50 grand and that's all you have to your name, I don't say you trade that the same way that you traded your first thousand. And that all has to do with diversifying the types of investment. So I'm a lot more comfortable making more aggressive trades in my foreign exchange account because I know that of my total net worth and my total holding, it's a small percentage. And it should be the same way with your stocks in your trading. You have to think about them through percentages of your holdings, not of as that portfolio. And there's this great book that was written by Benjamin Graham called Intelligent Investor. It's the Bible of Finance. Warren Buffett, his mentor was Benjamin Graham, the writer of this. They're some of the most important names in finance. He says, allocate 10% of your portfolio, not of your holdings, your portfolio to speculation. 
And speculation is that term. It's I'm going to invest in something because I believe in it, not because the financials are sound. So that five years ago would have been Tesla. Someone said, I'm going to speculate on Tesla. I'm going to use that 10% of my holdings, 10% of my portfolio, and I'm going to speculate and purchase securities of Tesla. That would have been a justified thing for, and in quotes, an intelligent investor. But I know a lot of people who just throw their money around. They, they want to say, I'm going to make bigger trades because of this or that. And that just goes against portfolio theory and really what the fathers of, of investing have said to do. And I feel like I went a little off track. What I picked up on that is basically don't go against Wall Street. Like there's people that this is their job studying the market. And if they think something, like if you're going to be like a smart and more conservative investor, you don't really want to go against it. So I think it's important to understand how the market works. I agree completely. It's a very interesting idea. And there's two schools of thought. It's active versus passive investing. One that Warren Buffett and Benjamin Graham subscribed to, and one that's fathered by Rex Singfield, the father of the index fund. And it's an interesting paradigm because I feel, because I'm a smart guy, I spend all this time doing it, that every once in a while, I have a pick that'll beat the market. And when I believe that, I do it. Otherwise, you have to not. These are ideas that are thought about and analyzed every day by people who do this for a living. The idea that you as a private investor can consistently outsmart the market is that's an active investing type of idea and people do it and hopefully you can be one of them but you have to understand how the market works and break it down let's let's just go ahead and think about it so every transaction that happens in the market tucker say that you have one share of apple and you go to the market and you say i want to sell it at x price someone else has to buy that in order for the market order to be filled so it's a transaction. It's not a, I'm throwing it back into the market and it's going to get taken. I know people who have calls on the market right now and aren't getting filled and they're getting nervous because they only have probably three more months till maturity. But every single transaction is between a buyer and a seller. So you have to think someone else thinks this is a good deal and you're selling it. That's the fundamental truth about the market. So at every stage, at every sale that you make, if I buy something, someone was selling it. If I have a sell order that's filled, someone bought it. And you have to understand that that is what the market is fundamentally. It's a transactional market. And with that said, the advent of Robinhood traders, which many of your listeners may be a part of, have thrown institutional investors a bone and are getting pushed around. But on the other hand, if you can be smarter than the average bear, and you can take advantage of those investors that are are flooding the market. The name of the game is educating yourself and coming up with an idea and executing it. So also, just to go back, since you like you've been trading since the beginning, like an early age. If someone was just to start out, mm-hmm. what tips would you give them? Like would you give them the tip of being like more conservative and more careful with their money? Or like what tips would you give them? I will give you the same advice that I was given when I first opened my portfolio. Pick a couple companies that you see succeeding in the future. 
and that you believe in as a consumer because you at the end of the day consumers drive businesses and stocks are just reflections of the business's valuation so when i was first opening my portfolio the first things i bought were starbucks caterpillar and Procter and Gamble, because those were the three things in my daily life that I knew would be there. And my best pick to this day still is Starbucks. It went up something like 800% since I purchased it way back when in 2008, because I knew that when I went to go get a cup of coffee, that's where I went. And I thought Starbucks was better than coffee beans. Starbucks was better than every other brand. And that was as a young, a young child that I thought that. And then they eventually succeeded in taking over the market share. I then went around my house looking at different things. And the company that was on most of it was Procter & Gamble. So that was another core piece of my portfolio starting out. And as a kid, I loved construction. It's what fuels my fascination in real estate and really started it. So I invested in Caterpillar. And those were the three things that drove my portfolio for the first 10 years. Those were my biggest holdings as a kid. And those were the things that centered everything and gave me a real foundation to trade today. And I think it's important that you think to yourself as a young person, as a person who's starting their portfolio, what is something that's established that I see continuing over the next 10, 20 years as a company and as a firm being largely successful? And that's truly what investing is instead of trading. Okay. I mean, I was also going to say, so basically, also another thing to add on, would you say invest more in a company like, for example, like Apple, which is always going to be like the margins are like more stable. It's not going to like shoot up in one day, like a hundred percent, but it's also not going to go down 80% in one day. It's or do you think you should invest in a company where it's going to be like, it has the possibility of shooting up a hundred percent, then also has the possibility of it going bankrupt. So Tucker, let's, let's use the words that I kind of outlined today. So speculation Involved. and investment. So I think there's room in your portfolio for both, but you have to be proportioned correctly. And it has to be what's right for you in your current financial situation. So if I have kids in the next 10 years and I have my portfolio with a majority of my assets in and my money, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to look for a lot more stable things. I'm going to say, I want to maybe put a lot of my money in an index fund so it's a lot more stable. As of right now, I'm in a different spot. But if you're just starting out, like I was with my, I had two portfolios. I had the one core that I talked about, and then I opened an E-Trade account so that I could trade. And I did that with my E-Trade account. I just traded. I took the riskiest investments and I made the most money on it. But you have to understand that there's room for it, but it all depends on your current situation and it depends on what your goals are. And if your goals are to get exposure and practice trading, that's one thing. And if you're trying to value invest and grow towards the future, that's another. And there's room in your portfolio for both, but you have to make sure that you speculate when you want to speculate and invest when you want to invest. And you need to make sure that in your mind, you're thinking of those trades differently. And then okay, now moving on a little bit from like, like tips and stuff. Since you're a student at a Chinese school and you're studying a little bit of Chinese economics, I imagine. How have you seen U.S. and Chinese markets develop? How do they compare to each other? What's like 
Yeah, of course. It's a pretty topical question. I think this is the most relevant thing in the world right now and will be for the next 20 years. I think that there is a fundamental educational disparity between the Chinese knowledge of the U.S. and the U.S. knowledge of the Chinese. And I think that it is my duty as an American to try to bridge that gap as an American going over to China. You you think and you see in our school system how many Chinese students come to America. And there's very little. I can, I can count in my entire school the total number of students who go from the U.S. to China. And I think that that's a very important keystone building point for the two economies to grow together. And I think a huge reason why it's hostile at the moment is because my school was established five years ago, the second school, like it was established three years ago. Oh, excuse me, seven, seven and three. And there's very few people in the U.S. who have had the same level of exposure to Chinese culture that people in China have had towards America and American culture. And that manifests itself in global economics and the way that we see it. We see the U.S. dominating consumer goods. We see China supplying it, but no one understands that Tencent is a media conglomerate that owns a bunch of media outlets in the U.S. And no one understood that TikTok was a thing in China because it's a Chinese company before it was the U.S. because the U.S. believes that it's the center of the world and has very little perspective to the outside. And I think it's very valuable to have that perspective of the outside. And it's happening now. Chinese companies are starting to dominate the market. Chinese companies are coming in on the different exchanges and they're taking capital and it's happening. And now people are starting to wake up and see it. I think that's the most important thing that's happening now in the financial markets. Bringing it to my view, it's natural. It's economic liberalism. It's free trade. And we need to embrace it and we need to move forward with it and do what we can to position ourselves as individuals to make the most money and profit off of it for our personal lives and for our financial situations. The goal of any investor is to do that. And I think that's why I'm giving myself this exposure. And that's why I feel so strongly about my moving to China as a young person for my professional career. I know that um, it'll put me in a situation in Asian trade and Asian policy that will put me ahead of the other Americans who aren't doing that. Yeah. So do you recommend other people doing school abroad? Oh, of course. It's not for everyone, but it gives you the most experience as a person to handle the world, period. The exposure to not only the professional sphere, but culturally and from my own personal maturity level, it's exponential growth compared to my friends who stayed, everyone else who stayed in the States for their college experience. I truly recommend it to any and everyone who's remotely interested, but it is a really hard thing to do. That isn't for everyone. And the traditional college experience may be more fun at times, but it's not going to be as valuable and it's not going to be as big of a value add in your future. Thank you, Daniel, for coming on the podcast. It's very nice to hear your insight on investing as a youth and it is very helpful to me and others. 
Yeah, of course. It's it's great to be able to um, teach a little bit and give back. I know I rely on everyone around me to help me move forward in my professional career, and I rely on a lot of people to give me advice. And I I'm I'm happy that I can start paying it forward and give some of it back in whatever way, way, shape or form. And you're doing a really great thing here with um, Kickstart Finance. And I think it has a lot of potential to help a lot of people grow their knowledge in finance and move forward as young adults and young professionals. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Kickstart Finance podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review so others can find it. You can discover more information in other podcast episodes at kickstartfinance.com. Have a great day and I'll see you soon.